We continue the Shear in Navi, Hebrew history. The last story we had was where Shmuel the prophet was told that the Jews would receive their request, they were going to have a king, and that Hashem would bring this individual to Shmuel the prophet. Hashem and his ways would bring it about that they would meet. The Torah describes Shaul, the king of the Jews, the first king. The description is that Mishichmo v'mala Gavoha. He was taller than the rest of the Jews and all the other Jews from his shoulders above, meaning he was a head taller than all the Jews. What is so important about height? After all, it is also possible that height is not a beneficial item. Height is not a quality. Abinadol says that sometimes height shows foolishness. It takes time for the brain to function if it's that high. So what is the quality here about Shaul HaMelech when saying he was taller? The answer is he was a head taller, meaning that in his head, mentally, his brain, his mind was purer, meaning that his actions were sacred. He kept his mind clear of any impure thoughts, filled his mind only with the thoughts, the laws of Torah and Emunah, faith in Hashem. Now, what happened one day was that he took care of the cattle, the animals of his father, and one day two donkeys got lost. They strayed. Shaul went out to search for them together with his servant. He kept pursuing these donkeys, but they were very elusive. He just couldn't catch up to them. It was very strange, because as fast as he moved, he would move at the same speed, keeping that steady distance between himself and them. He would pause, they would pause too. He'd always remain just barely in sight, but he could never catch up to them. And so he kept on traveling, following these donkeys. Days went by. He went through many cities on the same pursuit, and then suddenly he stopped and told his servant, perhaps we should give up this chase, because perhaps my father is worried about me, about my safety. So maybe we should sacrifice these mules, these donkeys, for the sake of getting back to home. It was then that the, the servant said to him, the, in this city, I believe, lives the prophet, Prophet Shmuel. The Torah says, he said, in this city lives the Chazah, the Chazah means the seer. As the Torah says, in those days, the prophet was called seer, meaning that he sees the future. So in this city lives the prophet, the seer. Let us locate him, and perhaps he can tell us where the donkeys are, since he sees all. And the question, of course, how do you approach the Navi, the prophet, to ask him a question of such unimportance? You have to approach him with a request and customarily to bring a gift. So this servant said, I have left just one silver coin. Perhaps that might be enough. That is a custom that is prevalent at all times, to this day too. This day we have ones that are called seers also. The Hasidic rabbis, the heads of dynasties, sects, also leaders in the sense that their followers consider them seers. They go to them for blessings, for brachos, 
they go to them for advice, meaning they respect their knowledge of the future. In fact, <coughs> the word chaze, seer, is gematria, uh, Hashem's name. So, Shaul HaMelech, King Shaul said to his servant, fine, we'll go to this Jose and bring him this coin, as we said is customary today too, when visiting one of these Rebbe's, they come with a kvittle. Kvittle means a request and a certain stipulated sum of money, whatever a person can afford. As a matter of respect, to offer a gift for the sake of this advice or for the sake of this blessing. So the question now was to locate a prophet. They saw a group of girls standing by, and they asked these girls, where is the Navi? Where is the, the seer? And they, these girls answered, well, there's a feast today. Uh, this feast, Shmuel Hanavi is going to offer a sacrifice. He is the one that's going to lead the feast. He is the one that's going to say, the special bracha that the Gemara says is said for a karmel. So if you wait around here in this city, you'll be able to see him. The Gemara says that was a long speech by these girls. They had to tell Shaul about the bracha that Shmuel is going to make, about this feast is going to take place. Why did they speak at such length? The Gemara says, well, here we see that Shaul HaMelech, besides, as we said, being superior in knowledge, superior in purity to other Jews, he also was superior in looks, handsomeness. The girls tried to stool him, speaking to him longer so they'd have a chance to gaze at his face that much longer. Despite this, this is an important lesson, despite the fact that he was so equipped with that which was desirable to women, he remained perfectly pure. So pure, in fact, that the Gemara says, Torah says later, that King Shaul, when he became king, even a year later, was as pure as the day he was born, or as a child of one year old. Never had committed any type of sin. So he stayed there until he came to, he finally met Shmuel the prophet, and there he saw, he did not recognize Shmuel the prophet, but Shmuel, he asked him, where is the prophet? And Shmuel Hanavi answered, I am the prophet. I am the Chazet. And I know what you want. Being a Chazet, I know what you want. You're asking about your mules. Well, I'm telling you that they have been found already. So you needn't worry about them. Especially since what is the value of two mules? These two donkeys. After all, you are the wealthiest person in all of Israel. Because to the king belongs all the wealth of the people. Shaul was shocked at these words because Shaul was the most modest person alive then. He said to Shmuel the prophet, I, uh, I come from the smallest tribe of the Jews, the tribe of Benjamin. And from that tribe, my family is the smallest, least important family too. How can I be fit to be a king? He chose and selected as king. And so Shmuel and Avi said to him, you remain with me now at this feast. I have a special portion put aside for you to prove that I knew you were coming. He gave him a special portion, portion of the feast, and then he brought him up to the top of the roof. He told him to send his boy away. He wanted to speak to him privately. The Gemara says, why did he take him to the top of the roof? 
so that he could see the sky very clearly. And there he spoke to him about Yiras Shalayim, the fear of Hashem, to instill in him the fear of Hashem because a king should not allow royalty to go to his head, to become filled with a gaiva conceit. He should maintain his humbleness. And how would he do so? What could assist him in doing that? By looking up at the sky. Abenazal in Sefer Hamidas brings the fact that if a person wants to instill in himself Yiddashimayim, fear of Hashem, he should gaze at the sky, and this will assist him to purify his mind from any evil thoughts. It will not do the act entirely, but it will help in his attempt to purify himself. This will add to his Yiddashimayim, fear of Hashem. So he told Shaul to remain with him, and that he would present him before the Jews. Now, uh, he told Shaul then, first, before I do this, you must go back, and on the way you'll have certain miracles performed that will prove my words. On the way you'll find people who will tell you, without asking that the mules were found. You'll also find a group of people carrying some food, and they'll offer you bread. Third, you will see a group of prophets speaking words of prophecy, and you will suddenly join them. You'll find the spirit of Hashem upon you, the Shekhinah. You'll start speaking two words of Nebuah. This occurred in order on that day, and those who knew Shoal as an ordinary person, as a layman, saw him suddenly among these prophets, and they said, Hagan Shoal Banavian. Can it be that Shoal, this Shoal we know, became a prophet too? The others, the wiser men, replied, the other prophets with Shoal were not born from fathers who were prophets. It is not something which is inherited. A person rates it if he ascends to that madrega, that level where he can get it. But to this day, the Torah says that this became a famous word or a joke. When you say about someone who speaks a prophecy, or someone who maintains that he knows the future, we apply this phrase, Hagam Shol Banavim, you too, Paranavi, the way they, they said it about Shol. Then Shol came back to Shmuel Hanavi, and Shmuel Hanavi placed him in front of the Jews. He told them, we are now going to draw lots to see which one Hashem has chosen as king of the Jews. He drew lots, the tribe of Benjamin was selected, he drew lots further, and the family of Shaul was chosen, and then the name Shaul itself. At that moment, Shaul was hiding. He hid out. He was afraid to show himself because of his modesty. And they called him. Shaul summoned him to come forward. He placed him in front of the Jews and said, This is your king. And all the Jews cried out as one, Yechi HaMelech, long live the king. They were very proud and happy to have a king who was so impressive in looks appeared as a true leader. Now among them, those who feared, those who had religion in their heart, accepted the word of Shmuel Hanavi, looked at Shaul, accepted him as king, according to the word of Shmuel Hanavi. There are others, evil people, who began to degrade, to insult Shaul, Hamelech. They made fun of him, they mocked him, they jeered at him, and Shaul remained <coughs> silent to this mockery. He remained silent, again because of his modesty, his goodness. 
But the Gemara says that this silence was unwarranted. This silence on his part was wrong. Because before he was king, he might have been the most important person in the world. He could have been the chief rabbi even. If he's insulted, he may remain silent. But a king cannot remain silent. A father cannot forego his honor, his kavod. A rabbi cannot forego his kavod, the kohen, but not a king. The king's honor is one that is placed upon him by Hashem. He does not have the authority, the right, the possession of that honor to forego it. He should have avenged this desecration of the kavod hamelach. And so immediately afterwards, something occurred to repay him for this. Where he got himself into a little trouble, it turned out right at the end, but it was a sign that some wrong had been committed. The country of Ammon, one of the Arab tribes, came to the city of Yavesh Gilad. King of Ammon's name was Nachosh. This was very fitting. The king was called Nachosh, a snake or a serpent. And he gave the, the city of Yavesh Gilad, the Jews there, an ultimatum. Surrender or else. The Jews were frightened. They were no match in battle for the country of Ammon. But they said to the message returned to the king of Ammon was, make a treaty with us and we will agree to serve you as slaves. This king, Nachash, sent the message back saying, I will make a treaty. There'll be no war, but on one condition, that every single person in the city of Yavesh Gilad must cut out his right eye. Let that be a disgrace for all Jews to show how worthless Jews are. This frightened the people of Yavesh Gilad, and they said, give us seven days' time for our reply. Now this lesson here is one that is very pertinent for our time too, because we see from here the evil that is prevalent. There is a deep-rooted evil in Esau. If they would take Jewish prisoners, just as the Syrians did now, you can rest assured they would show no mercy to these prisoners. They would not hesitate to kill or even torture them. No comparison to the attitude of the Jews who are Rachmonim b'nei Rachmonim. The Jews naturally have kind hearts, and even to their enemies they will show mercy and kindness if the enemy surrenders. We find this true even Lahavdil among certain Goyim. Of course, times change, but previously, America went at war when they were victorious against the Japanese, against the Germans, Yemach Shimon, showed a mercy and kindness where they did not take advantage of the losers in battle. They showed a kindness to them by granting them assistance to help rebuild their lands. Of course, this does not speak well about the Americans, because the Torah says that anyone who shows kindness to a snake deserves to be bitten by that snake. Showing kindness to the Nazis, to the Germans, deserves the results that the Americans have enjoyed now, with the Germans becoming better off economically than the Americans, or with the Americans suffering as a result. Still, we find that that ingrained evil is not prevalent among certain people, even among some Goyim. But in the case of Esau, there is this sadistic evil 
where just as in the case of Nachash, the king of Ammon, we see today too, the Syrians, Egyptians, if they are able to, they would easily kill, wipe out helpless victims among the Jews. It's only the shepherd of the Jews, Hashem, who protects them from all these vast empires who are so intent upon the complete destruction of the Jews. That's why to this day, Jews remain alive and will remain so, will become strengthened until eventually all the Sunday Israel Jewish enemies will be wiped out. Now this was the condition that Nachash gave to the people of Yavish Gilad. They said, give us seven days time to consider this. They sent a note to their new king, Shaul HaMalach, saying, this is the ultimatum we received from Nachash, the king of Ammon. So, when Shaul got this note, he quickly took a, an ox, <coughs> cut it up into parts, and sent a part of this ox to all the tribes of Israel, and said, whoever will not join me in battle immediately will have this done to his oxen, to his <coughs> cattle. They'll be completely destroyed. This means they'll become impoverished. Now, this was so daring, so impulsive an act, that the Jews were impressed. So they immediately rallied to his side. The Jews mobilized into a fairly large army and a total of 330,000 Jewish soldiers assembled at King Shoal's side. Meanwhile, the people of Gilad sent a message to Nachash saying, tomorrow we will give you our reply. Well, tomorrow we will do as you wish. The next day, Shaul came, attacked the, this vast army of Ammon, and the attack was so forceful one that they completely destroyed the army of Ammon. Now, this brought such a joy, elation to the Jews, they said, we have finally found victory. We have finally found one to lead us in battle, and we can enjoy superiority over our enemies. Therefore, we demand that those evil Jews who spoke against King Shoal at first, who mocked him, should be put to death. King Shoal again gave them a reprieve and said, since this is a day of victory and rejoicing, it is not right that any Jew should suffer, certainly not to be put to death. Let's forgive them for their crimes and let us all rejoice together. Then, Shmuel the prophet spoke to the Jews who were assembled. He gave them a long reprimand, Musr, told them, you have just seen what victory is like. But this is not because of your goodness. The fact is that you left, you deserted Hashem, you deserted faith in Hashem. You asked for a king. And now you think that it is the king that brought you victory. True fact is that Hashem is the one who decides the outcome of battle. Hashem Ishmochama. And what determines Hashem's decision is Tfilo. When Jews pray, and they can sway the decision of Hashem. Hashem follows Kaviachal, the bidding of the Jews in Tfilo. Proof, he said, I show you a miracle now. This was the middle of the summer. Shmuel called out, Shmuel called out in prayer to Hashem. And suddenly a heavy rain came down, a downpour. That's in Eretz Yisrael, 
there's no rain during these summer months. So he showed them that emuna, faith, and tefillah, prayer, are synonymous with nisim, miracles. Miracles come through emuna and tefillah. Then, <coughs> sometime later, the Plishtim, Philistines, who were the arch enemies of the Jews, mobilized for battle, and Shmuel, King Shaul too, called upon the Jews to assemble with him, and he said, let us pray to Hashem first, let us offer a sacrifice, because we need the assistance of Shmuel Hanavi, he will help us in Tefillah, after this sacrifice, then we'll be victorious. They waited for Shmuel Hanavi, he, he was late in coming, and Shoal Hamelach decided to offer the sacrifice himself. Now it is true that a king is a leader of all Jews, but there are certain things, spiritual items, for which the Kohen Gadol, or the, the Nasi, the chief rabbi, takes precedence even over the king. And offering a korban, it was the right, the kavod, for Shmuel Hanavi to do so, and it was this cover that Shaul HaMelech took away from Shmuel Hanavi in his hurry to complete the carbon to be able to go to battle. And as he completed it, just then Shmuel Hanavi appeared before him. And he said to him, you have committed a very foolish act. One that is so foolish that because of this you have lost the kingdom. You could have had a kingdom that would remain with you, passed on to your sons, your grandchildren. But because of this foolish act, you have lost the kingdom, and you have left, you have disobeyed me, you have left Hashem by doing so, because you had no right to offer the korban, the sacrifice that was the duty of the prophet. <coughs> Shaul HaMelech began to plead with Shmuel Hanavi, he should not embarrass him in front of all the Jews, not to desert him at this moment, to stay with him throughout this semi-celebration, and Shmuel Hanavi agreed, sort of forgiving him for this act. Then he he offered the another sacrifice himself, he stayed there, and he left. Now, at this time, the Torah tells us that the Jews were in a military sense, helpless. They had no weapons, because this took, time some, took place some time later. The Philistines were the arch enemy of the Jews. They had removed all types of metal implements from the Jews, even plowshares. They should not make swords out of them. They kept them subservient. And for this reason, the Jews had no army, the weapons to speak of. In fact, during the entire Jewish nation, there are only two swords available. One held by King Shaul, and one by his son, Yonah's son. Uh, the Philistines had assembled across the other side of the separation, the gap between the Jewish land and the Philistines, the no man's land, the sort of a valley. And it was very dangerous for the Jews at this time. It looked like they were doomed, Hasashol. So while Shaul HaMelech sat in his palace, there was one situated on top of the palace, 
who could look over to the other side. Yonah's son, his son, was very courageous, extremely brave, said to his servant, what is the sense of our waiting here to be destroyed? Let's go across to the other side and see what we can accomplish. The boy looked at him, what we can accomplish is an army there of hundreds of thousands of Philistine soldiers, top legionnaires. What can the two of us do in battle against them ourselves? We'll have no assistance from the Jews. There are, we have no army at all. Yonason said, well, I'm going. The boy said, in that case, I go with you. You are my master. You are the prince. Wherever you go, I'm willing to go too. A very loyal and devoted servant. So he sneaked across no man's land. And when he came to the first ones who were standing guard, he was halted, asked who was coming, and he said, a Jew. The guard, together with another guard, stood there and laughed at him and said, Proceed, come forward. Yonason said, If he said, Come forward, that must be a sign from heaven that we are going to go forward and enjoy victory. So he came forward and we reached the guard with speed. He took out his sword, killed these two guards, advanced further. He met the next guards and killed them systematically until he had 20 bodies of the Philistines killed. <coughs> now the first vanguard of the Philistine army finally came out and saw these bodies piled up. And this put them into a panic. They figured they were being attacked by a large army who was actually wiping them out. So they drew their swords, came forward, and decided to run back. As they ran back, this noise brought out the rest of the Philistines, and behind them, they came forward with swords. This was at a time at the evening when it was dark. They could not recognize each other, and they went into a pitched battle against each other, joined by others, none of them knowing which was friend or foe. Actually, they were all Philistines. To aid in this, uh, this panic, Jonas and his servants stood by, kept on screaming, give it to them, battle, go yourselves into battle more, let's, let's wipe out the enemy. So this brought about <coughs> such confusion that the Philistine soldiers kept falling by the hundreds and then thousands. The rest started to panic and to flee. Meanwhile, the one on top of the palace called down to King Shaul, something very strange has happened among the Philistines. I noticed there that the, none of us went there, and yet there's a pitched battle going on. They're dying like flies. So King Shaul said, who is missing among us? Check quickly. And he said, they checked and said it was Yonason and his servant. This must be a sign that something is up. Let's take some men and go over to the other side. They came there and found that the first line was deserted. They took their weapons and they advanced further and pursued the rest of the fleeing Philistines. This resulted in a, a major victory for the Jews to a point where King Shaul said this was a miracle that occurred today. We must show our appreciation to Hashem for this miracle. Every Jew must fast today. No Jew is permitted to eat as a sign of thanks to Hashem. Any Jew that eats anything 
deserves death. As king, I proclaim death as a penalty for eating. Well, the Jews, of course, obeyed King Shaul's edict, but Yonason was not present, didn't know about this ruling. He was very hungry, too. When he saw some honey on a vine, he put out a stick, tip of the stick, and took from this honey and ate it. One of the soldiers told Yonason, you've just eaten when the king said the penalty for eating is death. So, he said, I'm sorry, I didn't hear about it. He muttered at that. When he came back, after this victory was over, the, they came back to, to the, it was not, it's not exactly completely over, partially over, they came back to home and to inquire as to whether they should continue to pursue the Philistines to inflict any more damage. And so they asked the Uravatum, the chest plate of the Kohen Godot, shall we go up? Shall we advance once more? There was no reply. King Shaul said there must be a crime that was committed among us since Hashem refuses to answer us. Let us draw lots to find out who is guilty. And drawing lots, they found that it was Yonason. And they said to him, confess what you did. And Yonason said, I ate from this honey today. King Shaul said, in that case, you must die. A roar arose from the crowd, from the Jews, and they said, on a day like this, we enjoyed a victory due primarily to Yonason's courage and bravery. We want to redeem his life. We're responsible for his life. Each one of us gives a part of himself for Yonason, and so he was redeemed, he was saved. Following this, they continued to enjoy victory after victory, and the, the esteem of King Shoal was elevated to the highest possible degree. He was respected and liked by all the Jews. Now we come to the major test that King Shoal was put to. He once spoke about this in small detail. We come now to the actual case. Shmuel Hanavi came to King Shoal and said to him, you have been chosen as king of the Jews. You have a test now, a direct order from Hashem. The worst tribe that exists in this world is the tribe of Amalek. You're ordered by Hashem to go out, strike against Amalek, and to wipe them out entirely, completely. This means wipe out every man, woman, child, and animal. You must have no pity, no compassion on any living thing that belongs to the tribe of Amalek. This is your order. There's no problem of fear of defeat. You will definitely be victorious. <coughs> but you must fulfill this command. So King Shaul set out. He went into this battle. It was an easy victory for them. But in this battle, he saw the old king of Amalek, Agag, and he had pity on Agag and decided to bring him back alive. What's the use of killing an old king? He's helpless. And after all, as one king to the other, there should be some, some consideration. Also, he felt that if the victory is so complete, they should leave some of the animals over, not to use for themselves, but to offer as sacrifices, carbono sacrifices of thanks to Hashem. So he returned to this battle victorious with this king in tow. 
and with the cattle that came along with it. Now, apparently somewhere along the road, on the way, this king was given too much freedom and something had occurred. Whatever it was is obvious from later history. But he came back with this king to the camp and meanwhile Hashem spoke to Shmuel Hanavi and said to him, I am disgusted with King Shaul. Notify him that I no longer want him as king of the Jews. He has lost his standing in my eyes and his his reign as king will be terminated shortly. Shmuel the prophet cried all night over this this notice, this news, because after all, he was the one that had crowned King Shaul. He's the one that had anointed him in front of all the Jews. It was like his own son. It was more, more than that, it was like his own student. And he felt that he was entitled to see Nachas pleasure in his student. If Moshe Rabbeinu was Zohar to see pleasure in his student, Yeshua, to take over the leadership after him, Certainly he wanted to see the same too. That's why Ilara says that he davened, he prayed to Hashem and said, Hashem, do not remove King Shoal during my lifetime. If I have many years to live, I am willing to give up my life. I want to die young, at a younger age, so I should not see the passing of King Shoal, my product, during my lifetime. The Gemara says this wish was granted because Shmuel Hanavi was nostalgic, passed away at the age of 52, a very young age, only for the sake of not seeing the, the removal of King Shoal from the throne or see him die during his lifetime. Meanwhile, he felt very savvy about this, and when King Shoal came back, <coughs> Shmuel Hanavi approached him and said, you have committed a very serious crime, an unpardonable sin. Hashem has decided to take away the kingdom from you, from you, from your children, from your descendants. No longer will the family of Shoal remain as kings of the Jews, because you dared to disobey the command of Hashem. Shoal HaMelech cried out, what did I do? I didn't spare the lives of the Amalekim. I just brought back this one old helpless king. I just brought back animals, not for our sake, because we wanted to have loot from the battle. I brought them back to give praise to Hashem, to offer sacrifices to Hashem. Shmuel the prophet said to him, does Hashem want sacrifices? Better obeying Hashem's one command than a thousand sacrifices being offered. Now you think that you have shown kindness in this case? You're showing a kind heart? This is not showing kindness. This is cruelty. When Hashem says be kind to a fellow person, a human being, it's a mitzvah to be kind. When Hashem says kill, the greatest kindness you can show is obedience to Hashem. Here the Torah says that Shmuel Hanavi, who was so kind that he never hurt an insect in his lifetime, showed King Shaul a sample of obedience to Hashem. Though it was entirely against his grain, he called this king of Amalek to stand before him. My God, the king of Amalek thought, I'm standing before the prophet, he's surely kind, he'll give me a reprieve. And here Shmuel Nebuchadnezzar took out his sword and not just stabbed 
Agag, but took his sword and sliced him into four parts. Yishasef Shmuel Es Agag. Yishasef means he cut him up into four parts. Abenazal says this refers to the Rizal says Yishasef Shasef on the three holidays Shavuos, Sukkos, and Pesach. Because in these three holidays we have the four elements of Kedusha rise to the highest degree, corresponding to the four letters of Hashem. In these three holidays we have especially four mitzvahs in each holiday. Pesach you have the four cups of wine. Sukkos you have the Dalad Minim, the Lula of the Esra, Gadas, Manaros. And Ashuras you have the Torah which was taught four times, reviewed four times by Hashem before it was given. So the symbol of four corresponding to the elevation of the Shem Hashem, this is what Shmuel Hanavi showed to Shaul HaMelech. That here is a mitzvah. You go to this mitzvah wholeheartedly. To kill this king is the greatest compassion you can show for Jews. To show mercy to him is evil. Because the mercy you have shown is going to cause grief in the future to Jews. I gag is the ancestor of Homon, Homon HaAgogi. If Shaul HaMelech had killed Agag the king, Homon HaAgogi would have been born. And so it was said that at one time this king on the road happened to turn off through which came forth Homon, bringing about the birth of Homon later. So the question is though, a very vital question, Imar brings up this point. We find that there are many people among the Jews, great leaders, great leaders among the Jews too, who did commit sins at one time or another. Or it would appear they committed sins. case of King David, though it was not true he committed a sin, but the Torah tells it as though it was a sin, and the Torah brings that he did tshuva, he repented, he was forgiven. case of other great tzaddikim, it was one single act on the part of Sholem Malach, and there was no deliberate intention of doing wrong. It was a sin, it was disobedience, but couldn't this have been erased by the simple expedient of tshuva, repentance? Tshuva is so powerful that there is no sin in existence. There never has been yet one conceived that is big enough to withstand the power of tshuva. Not only that, but if a person would commit the worst sin possible, over and over again, countless times, he can still do tshuva and erase this sin, these sins completely. There's nothing in existence that can match the power of tshuva, because the power of tshuva represents the kindness of Hashem. Hashem is so kind, so infinitely kind that he will accept a person who did the worst wrong if that person turns back to Hashem. So why in this case couldn't Shoal Amalek have done tshuva and be forgiven? Naturally his tshuva would have been as good as any other Jews. He could have had this sin erased completely and could have retained his kingdom. The answer is that in this case Shoal Amalek was bitten by the serpent. Which serpent? The Nachosh HaKadmoni. The first serpent who caused, who brought about death to the world, who brought the rift between Adam, Harishon, and Hashem, who drove Adam out of Gan Eden, 
And who later came down to earth in the form of the Malach Amavas, the angel of death, this Nachash, converted to the Satan, to the Malach Amavas, his bite is a deadly one. So deadly that it caused the downfall of Shoal HaMelech, even in a case where Tshuva could have helped. What is the bite of this Nachash that exists today too? exists in all Jews, and something that Jews should be more aware of, more cautious, more wary of, to avoid than any other type of poison. This Neshichas HaNochosh, Abedazal says, is that if a person commits a sin, then he has done wrong. But, as bad as the wrong is, he should be punished. If he does chura, he is accepted. Who led him to do that sin? It was his own evil inclination. The Satan, the Yitzhahara, this serpent, this Nachash. He led him to do the sin by inflaming him with an evil desire. He could not control his temptation. He committed the crime. And once he committed that sin, the Jew is supposed to be completely alert to the fact that he is not lost. He broke a law. He followed the bidding of the Satan, the Yitzhahara, instead of the bidding of Hashem. But he still can return to Hashem, he still can erase this act. This is if he is alert enough and feels true faith in the kindness of Hashem. But here the Satan comes with his second attack that's much worse than the first. In this case, instead of inflaming him with a fire of desire, he now cools him, makes him cold, ice cold, frigid, to the point where he feels so despondent so let down in such despair he feels that all is lost my sin is too great for Hashem to tolerate to forgive there is no hope at all he reaches a point of despair of Yush which destroys more in him than the actual deed the actual sin a Jew can always return and do tshuva but if he reaches a point of modashchedah of sadness, of atzvus, of despair, of yush, lost hope, then he is completely lost. And this is what happened to Shoal HaMelech. He could have returned. The Pesach says immediately afterwards, the Shekhinah left him, and he was filled with a bitter feeling, an atzvus, a sadness descended upon him, and he became so depressed that in order to arise out of this depression, he had to have whom to cure him, someone to play a special instrument, music, to take him out of this despair. And for this, they called a young boy, at that time, David HaMelech, was David HaMelech then, came to him to play his musical instrument, to bring him out of this feeling of despair. <clears throat> now, why would this playing of this musical instrument help to elevate one who was that depressed, that state of mental depression, what would this do to help him? The answer is that David HaMelech was the one who founded, brought out in Tehillim, Yasara Mine Negina, the ten types of musical notes which cure the ten various types of poison that exist. Now this is all brought out in Abenazal's story the final story, as he put in Isios, the Zion Bettlers, Abenazal speaks about the princess that was attacked by the evil king who shot these ten arrows 
10 different types of poison tipped arrows into this princess and only one who knows about these 10 types of cures can cure this princess this means of course the shuna these 10 types of cures are the asara minenegina 10 types of notes song that are found in the Sefer Tehillim written by David HaMelech so it was through Tehillim that he could bring about an elevation a feeling of simcha from this this uh, abyss of despair but of course it, it reached a point that was so low that Shalom remained, remained in this level of despair coming out of it at times but not enough to come back to his original self this is where we come to the point of the rise of David HaMelech through a special event that took place where he came face to face with an old relative we'll have that in the next story the point is that we should be zecher to fulfill the main etzis the main advice in this story to know always that a Jew should never lose hope the greatest mitzvah is for a Jew to remain the simcha at all times, no matter what happens. Simcha, happiness, knowing that Hashem is always willing to take us back, no matter what is done. And that with this simcha and amunah, we will certainly rate seeing the Geula Shlema, the complete victory for the Jews, the Vias, Mashiach, the Kenu, Amen, Amen.